Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen. I'm also a national political reporter with the Republic. So we got new album artwork. Check it out. Let me know if you like it. Catch me on Twitter. In today's episode, we're talking about the biggest takeaways you need to know from the state budget. What got funded? What didn't? What does funding look like for education, our highways, and infrastructure? And taxes? We're going to break it all down and give you a sense of what it means for you. And by the way, what's going on with that $32 car registration fee? All of that, up next. So the budget was finalized on May 28th. This came after some controversy surrounding a separate bill unrelated to the budget. That bill had to do with giving victims of childhood sexual abuse more time to sue their abusers. The author of that bill, Senator Paul Boyer, refused to vote on the state budget until it was passed. Then he was joined by another colleague, Senator Heather Carter. So that had to get sorted out, and it did eventually pass, which then allowed the budget to move forward. You also had the incident where a couple of representatives were fighting over strategy on how they could get their colleagues in line. That happened to be picked up by a microphone from a hearing room that they didn't realize was on. You can find that audio and a story about it on azcentral.com. So the state budget is $11.8 billion. That money funds so many different things that affect your day-to-day life. For example, there will be an expansion of Interstate 17. So if you travel up north often, you know why that's a big deal. There's also a focus on education funding, some for affordable housing. But also important is what the budget did not fund. We'll get into that later. To start you off, Yvonne, why does the budget matter? So a state budget is a reflection of its priorities. We elect state leaders to divvy up the pie as they see fit. This budget is made up of your money, you, the listener, your money, this is your money. So your priorities should be reflected. That might sound simple, but in reality, it's not. So first up, we're talking to education reporter Lily Altavena. Lily covers K-12 education at the Arizona Republic. Lily, thanks for joining us. I'm psyched to be here. Lily, the way I see this year's budget is sort of an act two for Red for Ed. Last year, promises were made. This year, we got to see if those promises were kept. What can you tell us about the 20 by 2020 pledge that we heard so much about last year? So 20 by 2020 is Governor Doug Ducey's plan to raise teacher salaries by the year 2020. And Doug Ducey did, you know, keep his promise to bump up teacher pay another 5% to last year's 10%. That means he'll be on the hook for another 5% next year. And that's about $165 million going, you know, to your kids' teachers and to your kids' classrooms for, for their raises. Um, it may not necessarily mean that the teachers all get another 5% raise. That's It didn't mean that last year, but it does mean their salaries will likely go up. So with this pay raise, does that mean that the median teacher income has changed? So I've been waiting for those figures for a bit, and it's still unclear. Expect More Arizona came out with some numbers last week that said Arizona still ranks as 49th for median elementary teacher pay at about $45,000 a year. But their figures didn't completely take into account last year's 10% raise. So we're kind of still waiting for numbers to roll in on that. 
So if you're like my kid's kindergarten class, we literally collected hundreds and hundreds of dollars in cash to give to her for the end of the year school gift because there has been so much attention paid to um, to teacher pay. But there's a lot of other needs as well. So can you give us a sense of the other types of education funds that were included in this year's budget? Yeah. So this year, uh, I asked a bunch of teachers, what's going on in your classroom? Have you seen more money being poured in for things like textbooks? And they sent me, you know, the pictures that we got last year, which are of textbooks from the year 2000, where, you know, George Bush is still president. So that is still a problem that exists. This year, um, they sent about $136 million for what's called additional assistance. So that will go for new textbooks, fix things like broken chairs, you know, maybe replace some some crayons that have melted away in the sun from years past. That was supposed to be $68 million, so the legislature actually surprisingly doubled that. Um, and that kind of speeds up the timeline to restore additional assistance back to pre-recession funding. There was also some money for building renewal grants, so about $90 million to fix things like broken AC systems, leaking ceilings, and some money to build new schools for growing communities, you know, around Santan Valley and, and West Phoenix. Lily, you've written about stories of the troublesome students to student counselor ratio. What was it and how did the legislature address that? So uh, $20 million will go to school counselors and school resource officers. It's kind of schools can apply for whichever they want. Doug Ducey has been big on the school resource officer grant program. Um, so now counselors are added into that. Um, but Arizona has a, a massive student-to-counselor ratio, the highest in the country at 905 kids to one. The School Counselor Association in Arizona says their goal is 550 to one. The ideal, according to the National Association, is 250 to one. And it matters because, you know, there's suicide numbers rising in areas like the East Valley for teens. Um, you know, kids are coming to school with more social emotional issues. That's what teachers tell me. Um, and so so having mental health in school might do things to prevent suicides, to prevent school shootings. So we're putting about $20 million toward a $100 million problem. That's that's about what the numbers add up to. $20 million isn't bad. You know, that's that's about a, a fifth of that. But experts say we need more money, $100 million. And and that's kind of the theme for education is, is this is another boost in funding, but there needs to be more. And it's probably less because schools can choose to use this $20 million on either counselors or resource officers. So we'll kind of see what they choose. What's going on with the teacher shortage? Do you have a sense of whether or not the budget is going to address that in any kind of meaningful way? And, and that's kind of a wait and see, too. So the last round of data that the Arizona School Personnel Association came out with was in you know December, and there were still quite a few vacancies around schools in Arizona. So there are about 7,400 teacher openings in the state. And when they last did a check of schools, a survey of school, there were 1,700 vacancies for teachers. And that doesn't mean your kid's classroom isn't staffed by a teacher. They're not just like running wild in an empty classroom. That means either classes are bigger or they're being taught by long-term subs. And we've heard a lot of problems that come out of classrooms that are taught by long-term subs because, you know, what stake do they have in your kid's classroom? So we've been hearing a lot about education funding for the last four years or so, since about 2015. Can you give us a sense of politically how both sides might play this issue heading into 2020? Sure. 
In 2018, Red for Ed was the big selling point for a lot of legislators, Republican and Democrat. You know, they said, we're hearing teachers and we're going to put more into education. It, it depends on who you ask on, on whether this budget really made a difference. If you ask Doug Ducey, he would say, yes, I'm sticking to my promises. I even doubled additional assistance. We're doing great. If you ask Red for Ed leaders, they would say they're really disappointed and that they wish there was more money. If you ask you know, organizations like the Arizona School Boards Association, um, uh, Children's Action Alliance, they would say, no, there still needs to be more money. So I think we're going to continue to see state lawmakers run on this pro-education platform. But I don't know, you know, if voters are really seeing the action that Red for Ed wanted. Well, we'll stay tuned for your continuing coverage on that. Lily, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Ah, thank you for having me. I'm on Twitter at Lily Alta, L-I-L-Y-A-L-T-A. Up next, we're talking to Rachel Langang. She is our higher education reporter, and you are all familiar with her great reporting. She's been helping out on the politics front recently. Rachel, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, one thing that, that Lily had mentioned that I wanted to um, kind of add to um, the teacher shortage issue, one thing that lawmakers have put money toward to try to help that is $15 million for these things that the universities call teachers academies. Um, you may recall, I believe it was last year, there was uh, the idea of them was started, but no money has ever gone to them. So this is a pretty big investment in that. Um, and it'll go toward people who are uh, working to become teachers or trying to entice people to become teachers. But that's going to take a while to see the effects of this program and with the money now. Right. It'll probably take, you know, a decade or so until we can see if it actually produces more teachers. For the first year, it was basically just giving scholarships to students who were already going to become teachers. So it's not really adding, you know, to that um, pool of uh, qualified teachers. So what are the top takeaways from this budget on the non-educational side of things that you think will really either add value or negatively affect value for consumers and voters and just regular Arizonans? So one big thing that we've heard a lot about over the past year is this uh, public safety fee um, that you pay when you register your car. I just paid mine like three days ago. Um, I was kind of waiting to see what the legislature would do to see if I would have to pay more or less, and I have to pay the same amount, so nothing changed. Um, but this $32 fee, uh, it will be gone by July 1st, 2021. That was um, a non-negotiable for some lawmakers. They had a really big problem with um, the way the fee was set, the very fact that we were charging a fee when we have a lot of money coming into the state. Um, so if you paid that, you won't pay that maybe next time you register. Um, another big thing that Ron had mentioned um, earlier is the expansion of Interstate 17. If you've ever gone um, to Flagstaff on the weekends, you have been stuck on 17. Um, and it's going to be expanded from Black Canyon City uh, to Sunset Point, And that's over the next three years. So it'll go in, in phases here. All of us who have driven that, like, it's such a headache. So that will be something that should really ease things up for weekend travel, especially as, you know, the summer months kick off here. Not right away, but, you know, in the next couple of years. Okay. So speaking of easing things up, uh, what do state workers get out of this financially? How does their uh, paycheck look? So some state workers are getting pretty big raises. 
it's state workers who are traditionally hard to recruit and retain. So we have corrections officers, Department of Public Safety troopers, Department of Child Safety caseworkers. Those are positions that have seen a lot of turnover in the past few years. I think the thinking here is that if they're paid better, perhaps it helps with retention. And then also lawmakers might be getting some increase to their uh, take-home pay as well. They repeatedly made clear that this is not a raise, but they're getting more money. So that's one way to call um, getting more money. Uh, They want to increase their daily allowances. It's called per diem pretty sizably. And it it would especially um, go toward rural lawmakers. The amount they get paid now is really not enough for them to actually like get a hotel in town or anything like that. So that's the thinking behind it. It had bipartisan support. But as of now, the governor has not signed it yet. So it's not clear to me, you know, he hasn't commented on it publicly. I don't know what that means. So what can you tell us about our taxes? So Arizona made a ton of changes to the tax code this year. And really, the specifics are that are of that are going to affect you differently, depending on your income, whether you take a standard deduction or you do, um, you know, itemized deductions. In general, if you're a middle class, like wage earner, you can save just a super tiny amount, like 70, uh, up to 70 cents per $1,000 of your marginal income. For those of those of us who are like middle income, that's more than likely what we'll see. There are also changes um, that will allow for the collection of sales tax for online purchases that are made in Arizona. And if we're online shoppers? You will probably have to pay more in taxes depending on where the vendor is located and depending on the size of the business. Smaller businesses were less affected by it than larger retailers. Okay, so if we shop a lot on Amazon or Target for the two-day shipping or Wayfair, for example, will we be paying more? I believe so. So there was another big bank account that we did fund, and that is the state's saving account. The governor was adamant about putting a billion dollars or so into a savings account instead of spending it. Why is that? If you're more cynical, I think it's a political play for him to say when he came into office in um, 2015, he inherited a billion dollar deficit. And now he can say he's put a billion dollars into the state's reserves. Like that's a pretty easy PR line. So I think it helps him on that front. The thing that he would say is that this makes sure that when there's another recession or economic downturn, which is, you know, likely our economy is pretty volatile here, um, we will have the money to help in that circumstance and won't have to just cut services um, in ways that are detrimental to people's lives. Or sell off the state buildings, etc., like we did uh, about a decade ago. Who else might benefit from not using this money? It's it's hard to say who would benefit from something not happening, right? Like, um, I don't know that any any lawmakers were super jazzed about putting the money that much money in reserves. I don't, I don't even think people in Ducey's party were super thrilled about that. I know that they tried to negotiate on it, but like it doesn't seem like he was willing to budge at all on that specific item. So I think there were people who thought, why are we putting this money away when we could like cut taxes or put more toward schools, you know, ramp up that 2020 thing and get it done this year. Um, but, you know, a billion dollars sounds pretty good. So that's what the budget does. Tell us what this budget does not do. What what are we not funding? There are no specific funds for these lock problems that have been happening at Arizona prisons. Lewis Prison and perhaps some other locations had problems with locks to the point where inmates were able to leave their cells. And I believe in one case there was a death because of that. 
Um, in this instance, this happened like pretty late in budget negotiations. No specific line item was added for locks. The governor's office had said that the Department of Corrections will use some of its existing funds to address this problem, but it does take a sizable amount of money to figure out if this is an, an infrastructure issue across prisons, how can you make prisons secure for both inmates and people who are working in those facilities? Some folks said that this was not adequate. Uh, other things that aren't in there, at the very last minute, there was a failed, what's called a trailer bill, which is essentially like a budget cleanup bill um, that includes a ton of random provisions. So things in that bill that specifically failed um, were... A few million dollars for um, cold case sex crime investigations that would have been grants um, to different agencies that do those investigations. And there would have been a pilot program for what's known as community schools, which are schools that have sort of like wraparound services, like a dentist would be on site at your neighborhood school. Um, we don't really have like um, wide use of those. So this would kind of kick off a pilot program to see how that would work. But like I said, those things, they, they died in the last minutes there. Interesting. Uh, okay, so before we wrap this up, let's talk about something that's really important that at least one politician has been ringing the alarm bells on. Uh, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs has been adamant in saying we need to get more money put into election security to make sure our ballots are counted accurately and safe from interference. How much did she want and what did she get? So on Twitter, um, Secretary Hobbs had said that the counties need um, at least $7 million to run this election. The line item she got was about like $4.4 million. Um, and then there was also an issue with a specific line item that said election services that was missing like almost $1.5 million that she said would um, help to make sure elections are secure and accessible. Um, that money wasn't in there. She tried to kind of raise the alarm about that um, on social media, but it didn't seem to gain any traction in the legislature. At the same time, the AG's office got half a million dollars for this this new idea um, for a unit that will investigate voter fraud. Like that, that's what it was labeled um, in budget documents. Uh, and the AG's office has said, you know, we don't know if there's voter fraud. This would be a way for us to investigate and find out if there is or isn't and put some data behind people's perceptions. I think there were people who had perceptions after the 2018 election where we had more Democrats elected, um, especially at the statewide level in Arizona, that the election was somehow stolen, which is, you know, not accurate based on any available facts at this point. Um, and I think from what the attorney general's office has said, they want to see, you know, if people have this perception. How can we you know, counter that with data or provide them some option to investigate it. Okay, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts for you political junkies. I was surprised at how Secretary of State Katie Hobbs uh, played her hand this this year. I would have thought that instead of just engaging on Twitter, and perhaps she was having meetings behind the scenes we didn't get to see, the public wasn't privy to, voters could end up being like the big losers here, right? I mean, every single election, something goes wrong. Allegations are made of, you know, wrongdoing in administering um, the election in this county or that county or this state office or wherever. And here she is jumping up and down in the middle of the night on Twitter saying she needs more money for, you know, the administration of the election. And I feel like nobody really heard her calls. 
Well, and I will jump on that just a bit too. That was one of the sort of warnings it seemed that Robert Mueller was telling the nation about sort of nationally with election security. And we've been looking into voter fraud all over the country uh, for some time now. And, you know, by the way, who looks into that for the attorney general's office here in Arizona? So to peel off money that might have gone to the Democratic Secretary of State and put it into the pockets of the Republican attorney general for investigating something that has been clearly identified as not an issue of any great significance nationally seems like a pretty clear defeat for Katie Hobbs, if not the public more generally. Well, Gaggle listeners, that is it for today. Before we lose you, please go and rate and review our show on your podcast app. If you haven't subscribed, please do that too. Special thanks to our guests, Lily and Rachel. Don't forget to follow them on Twitter. Lily is at Lily Alta. Rachel, where can we find you? I'm on Twitter at Rachel Langang. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E-I-N-G-A-N-G. You can find me, your host, at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Thanks for listening, Gaggle Loyalists. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with help from Katie O'Connell and Kayla White. See you next week.